Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. If I don't know you, my name's Tim, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, thank you to all of you that are guests this morning, and those of you that brought someone with you today that you uh, entrusted us not to say something awkward from the pulpit or to do something crazy during the service. Uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, we just hope, if you're a guest, maybe this is your first time that you've been checking us out, uh, that you'll just get to know us in the warmth of the people here. And uh, most importantly, that we really truly are a community, a genuine, authentic community that's not afraid to share our struggles, to share our hardships, uh, to recognize that we don't have it all together and it's only by God's grace that any of us are even here today. Amen, church? Now remember that you said that amen, okay, as we go through the sermon today. Um, So we're so glad that you're here, and we're actually, we're continuing a series of messages. Today we're concluding it uh, called Life Undone, and the reason that we wanted to make this uh, part of the sermon series is so that you know we're not doing anything that we don't normally do here on Sunday morning, and so if this is your first time here, you're really getting a picture of who we are. I mean, this is truly us, and so what we've been looking at is how so often in life we always move on to the next thing, right? We always get out the to-do list, and we always find the things that we're not doing. We beat ourselves up for that, and so we add more things to the list. And so let me just take a quick survey here this morning as we start. Does anybody in here need more to do in their life? Go ahead, raise them nice and high, because the ushers are going to take your names down, all right? <laughs> Because we need, we need your help. So two people, one guy at 8.30 raised his hand and his wife elbowed him, explained it to him, and he put, he's like, oh, no, no, put his hand back down. <laughs> but we did get two this morning, so I'm thankful. But most of you, let's think about that, 99% of you say that you don't need to have anything else added to your life. And so often that's what we do. We always think of what we should do rather than what we should undo. And what is it that God would undo in our lives that we can make room for what matters most and so you got a sermon outline on your way in. Could you just grab that for me? I want you to grab that, grab one of the pens that are in the seats in front of you. If you want to take one of those cool pens home, you can. We'll restock them this week. Uh, but grab that outline, because here's kind of my first question for you this morning. And those of you that have been here throughout the series, hopefully you've already thought about this. If not, this is your last chance to get real with God on this. If there's one thing that you could undo in your life right now, right now, what would it be? Everybody got it? 30 more seconds. Jeopardy soundtrack countdown, right? One thing you could undo in your life right now, what would it be? Okay, you ready for this next thing? And I get this. This is the least guest-friendly, seeker-sensitive thing you could do, especially on a fall frenzy Sunday, but you'll get it as it relates to the message. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what you just came up with. Go ahead. Now, how many of you said something that didn't come to your mind? You made something new up, right? How many of you, you just literally switched your answer? So to help you be vulnerable, because you said at the beginning, we're a vulnerable community. We're not afraid to show our scars and our wounds and the things that have maybe hurt us in the past. What? I I want you to change the question to this. If God could change one thing in your life right now, what would it be? how quiet the room got. If God could change one thing. 
And some of you are like, I'm not answering because he's going to tell us to turn to the person next to him. <laughs> Those of you that are brave and you're comfortable doing this, go ahead and do it. If this gives you anxiety, don't do it because I don't want you to have anxiety this morning. But go ahead and tell the person next to you if you're comfortable doing that or just give them the same answer you just gave them. Go ahead and do it. she being honest with you? It gives her anxiety. All right. Just so you know, my wife did not answer the question. It gives her anxiety. So if you did not answer the question, you're with her this morning. Transparent for you. Um, but think about it. Why is this so hard, this exercise, right, which is like the worst thing that you can do in a church, right? Like we are everybody, especially introverts, are like crazy, crazy uncomfortable right now. And the reason is, is because of pride. We have a hard time owning up to like what we truly struggle with. And it actually goes back to control. We control a lot more than we realize. I mean, we control the image we portray, think about this, by the clothes that we wear, by the home that we live in, the cars that we drive, the degrees that hang on our walls, the social status that we seek, even the stories that we tell about ourselves and about our kids and grandkids, we're in control of all of these aspects of our lives. And so often it is, especially as Americans, especially as human beings, it is hard for us to be open and vulnerable about what we actually struggle with. It's kind of interesting, this last Friday I had the opportunity to take my youngest son on a field trip uh, to the fire station. And uh, I drop my boys off at school every morning. They get there at 7.50 because I've trained them that if you're not early, you're late. In fact, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. So I've instilled these principles in them. Oh, they're going to clap for that. That's amazing. 8.30 didn't do that, but I'll take the applause. So I dropped them off, uh, and I came here to the church, and I was going to go back. And see, the night before, being the responsible person that I am, I went and read the teacher's email. And then she laid out in, 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 in paragraph detail how you're supposed to show up and let the kids carry their own booster seats and every kid has to have a parent holding their hand and like all, I mean, every detail except for what time you were supposed to be at the school. And so I read through the whole email, I have all the instructions, and so I turn to my wife and I say, oh, what time am I supposed to be there tomorrow? And she said, nine o'clock. I said, okay. So I came here to the church to do a couple things and I'm heading back and a, my, the phone rings in my car and I answer it and it's the teacher's assistant from the school. And she says, are you planning to go on the field trip today? We're waiting for you. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way right now. I'll be there at 9.50 or 8.50 because I'm supposed to be there at 9 o'clock. She said, no, you were supposed to be here at 8.30. Now again, someone with my personality... <laughs> And instead of just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, oh, please forgive me, and can you please let everybody know that I'm really sorry that I'm not there, guess what I did? The first knee-jerk reaction is, my wife told me to be there <laughs> at 9 o'clock. And she literally says, sounds like you have marriage issues. <laughs> right? Just like Adam in the garden. It's not me, God, it's her. Why did you give me her? I was fine until she got here. Me and the animals, we're doing just great, thanks. So I pull up and everybody is waiting for me, which is just anxiety to the nth degree. And I get out and for whatever reason, the teacher assistant thought she would be funny, which is terrible, terrible idea. And she said, oh, you're going to be the troublemaker for us this year. And I literally said to her, I said, you realize this isn't my fault. 
I read the email the night before, and the teacher should have put the time in her email to the parents. I said, how was I supposed to have time to be here? She said, if you would have gone into your child's backpack, into the folder, you would have found the permission slip, you would have found the time that you were supposed to be here. And I'm like, it's my fault that I didn't go into my kid's backpack and go into the folder and look at the time. And she's like, yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> but we struggle with that, right? We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be vulnerable. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I ended up asking or answering these questions. If there's one thing that I could undo, and this was before the field trip, I'd already thought about my answer because obviously I've been preparing the message all week, really is that I'm so high strong. And I've prayed about this, I've sought counsel about this, I wish I wasn't so high strong. I wish I knew how to relax. People that are able to relax and just let life come to them and I mean, every day I have to get up and climb a different, cha- a different mountain and take on a different challenge. And, you know, uh, my wife's been working with me with this for the last 10 years, and you've moved me about this much, right? So, uh, but I just wish that, that I wasn't so wound up. And when I think about this question, if God could undo one thing in my life right now, it kind of dovetailed into this. Because oftentimes I have unrealistic expectations for other people in my life. And so I get kind of anal retentive when it comes to their ability to complete tasks. And I'll judge people based on their inability to do things and do things effectively. And I'll complain about people, why couldn't they, do, why couldn't they get this right? Why didn't that teacher send out the email and include the time? She, she's the one that screwed up. Or why didn't this person uh, miss these details? They should have known to do this. They should have thought through all of this and not just made the decision the way that they did. And I believe that God would challenge me to just take a deep breath, to relax, to pull back, to not get so focused on things that are so trivial. And see, today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture again, and it's an interaction as we looked at throughout this entire series uh, between the religious leaders of the time and Jesus. And I just pray, I pray for everyone in here that God's Word is what's going to challenge your heart and bring you closer to Him. So I want to invite you to turn uh, in your chair Bibles It's on page 877. If you have your own Bible, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18. If you're in the front row, the Bibles are actually underneath. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you're more than welcome to use that as well. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 9, page 877. And it says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So we're going to stop right there for a moment because a parable is just a made-up story from Jesus. He was a master storyteller. In fact, almost all of the parables that he told, all the stories that he told were always gross exaggerations. And he did this on purpose. Every time he told a story, I'll come to, it'll come to me at 11.30. Anytime he told a story, he would just always make these gross exaggerations. So you can imagine, this is a made-up story, and he's going after people that thought they were righteous and that, that would treat others with contempt. And so he begins in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So he's doing some comparative preaching, which a lot of people will argue is the most effective way to to teach and preach, is comparative preaching. So here they are. They're going up to the temple, their religious house of worship in their day and age. This is where they went to worship God, where the presence of God literally resided. And so he's got a Pharisee on one end, and you've got to realize this is the religious leader of the day, highly educated, 
incredible social status, just really smart, intelligent, respected by people. He was a teacher. He was there for people. His job was like basically like a church worker or a pastor today. He was there to tend to God's people. And then on the opposite end, you have this tax collector. And in order to, in order to really get in your mind, you have to think basically drug dealer or mafia person or someone that just does horrible, heinous things despised person. In fact, tax collectors during this time were so despised, they weren't even allowed to testify in court because they would just consider them liars and cheats. And so here you have these two extremes that Jesus is pointing out. And look at what it says, the Pharisee standing by himself, right? Standing by himself because he doesn't want to be around sinners. Prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I want you to think about that. We're going to pause there for a moment. This Pharisee that from everybody's view was, you know, the person that you're supposed to emulate, the person you're supposed to follow in society, the person you're supposed to, you know, just want to be like. And here he is. He's praying all by himself. He's doing everything exactly the way that he's supposed to do it. And really, the Pharisee wasn't completely wrong. He had much to be proud of. God had put him in a family. God had blessed him, allowed him to have the education that he's, that he's had to be in the position that he's in. But instead of realizing that he, had, that he was a gift from God to the people, instead he saw himself as a gift of God that he was there and that God should be thankful that he was serving in this position rather than realizing and humbling himself and realizing that God had allowed him to be here to serve other people. And how easy it is for us to look down on the religious leaders, especially as you read scripture and over and over again, and Jesus is always challenging the religious leaders of their time. But yet we have people that we kind of do the same thing to today, don't we? Do any of you ever turn on the television and you see a TV evangelist and they're raising money, millions of dollars for yet another private jet, right? And you kind of have some feelings about that. Or you see these TV personalities and there's religious people and they're really good with the scriptures and they have perfect hair and, you know, they're just great orators and they seem to have it all together and so we kind of like, you know, kind of paint a picture of that. Or maybe it's on the local level, churches that buy into this thing where the pastor has to be perfect, right? And his wife has to be perfect and his family has to be perfect and he has to be the the best husband and the best father and he has to know more about the Bible than anybody else in the church or the community. And he always is dressed perfect. He always presents himself well. He never screws up. He never makes a mistake. And I believe so many pastors have fallen into that trap in the 60s and 70s and the 80s and maybe even into the 90s. And then what happens? We turn on our television and we look in the newspaper and we find out about all these pastors that end up falling from grace. That have to resign from their churches because of sin in their life. In fact, there was a pastor recently, a guy that I admire, a guy that I respect, a guy that I've actually been following since I was 18 years old. I have literally read all of his books. I've been to his leadership conference every single year for the last 18 years. And I had to read and I had to watch and go on his church's website and hear as all these accusations came out about him. A mega church pastor that God has used to build an incredible church that not only blessed the community they were in, but literally traveled the whole world and has done training for people all over the world. Incredible amount of influence. 
And instead of kind of, you know, coming to grips with it, he just decided that he was going to retire early and he named two replacements to take over his position at this church. And more allegations came out to the point of that uh, the, the two people that actually, that he called to replace him both ended up resigning. And then his church council all stood on the, uh, on the stage at their church and they all, one by one, all resigned. The whole church is being church turned upside down because of sin in their midst. And he still hasn't come out and admitted to any of these things. And it breaks my heart. Somebody that I just revered and respected from a distance. God, you, know, you want to go shake him and say, what happened? And how was this able to take place? And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, see, that's why I don't go to church. Because pastors let you down. Church workers let you down. People let you down. And I think we need to be cautious of putting people on pedestals. We need to be cautious about putting people in those positions and thinking that they're never going to screw up. In fact, if you give John and I enough time, we're going to let you down, just so you know. <laughs> All right? Maybe you're new. Maybe you've been here a year. You're like, I love John and Tim. You guys are great. Give it another year. All right? <laughs> we're either going to forget you know, your birthday on Facebook or we're going to forget to text you or call you or we're going to say something in a pulpit that's not, you're going to be like, oh, that, that, that offended me. I mean, because we're human. We're not any different than anybody else. And maybe you've been in a church and you've been hurt by somebody. Maybe you've been hurt by a church leader or a pastor. And I'm sorry if you've experienced that. I can tell you the first church that I worked at in Minnesota, it was during my senior year. I was at a very small church. I only went there for a temporary time to help them with their youth program. And I got to the end of that first year and I was getting a call to a church here in Michigan, in Waterford, Michigan. And I had to go and sit down with the pastor and tell him, hey, I need to leave. I'm getting ready to graduate. This is like a part, part-time job, 10 hours a week. I have these student loans from the government and they're going to want their money back. So I really need a full-time job to pay for this. And so I need to leave. And we happened to be in a restaurant in a public place and he was screaming at me in the restaurant, screaming. He was so angry that I would leave this church after only being there a year. And I had such a close connection with this guy. In fact, I took more of his classes in Bible college than I had taken in any other professor. I loved this guy and his wife and his family. And in one moment, my whole world came crashing down and I ended up in a church in Waterford, Michigan. So here I am in Waterford. I was only there for two and a half years. And the reason I was only at that church for two and a half years is because the pastor and I were literally oil and water. We would work opposite hours so we wouldn't have to see each other during the week. We would avoid each other in meetings and we would just put on a show on Sunday morning for the congregation until it finally got to a point and said, you know what, we can't do this anymore. And you've been here longer than I have and it makes the most sense for me to leave. So I did something you should never do. I resigned from a position without having another position to go to. I was unemployed for four months. I lived with my sister in her condo, rent-free, God bless her. <laughs> I had to eat her groceries, right? And I would clean the house. That was the, that was the deal. And then for some reason, this church called Shepherd's Gate hired me. And I wasn't even part of this denomination. <laughs> I, to this day, I don't know why, just so you know. I didn't know anything about this church. I didn't know any, and so I was like, okay, so what does this mean, God, for me and for my life? And even maybe here, there's people here, there's staff members here, there's fellow members here that have just rubbed you the wrong way. Maybe they've done things or said things that they shouldn't have said. And so we kind of have a choice. You know, We can be angry with them or we can extend them grace and mercy 
and forgiveness. Folks, this is even as real as this week. My boys have become obsessed with this show called Little House on the Prairie. Have you seen the show? (laughs) I used to have the best backyard in our entire neighborhood. Perfectly mowed grass, green as green can be, and now it is an entire farm, all right? They have dug up everything with their rakes and their shovels, and they plant things that are never going to grow, and we have a little house in the prairie in our backyard now. (laughs) And we're watching this show together that they've become obsessed with, and I, I love it because he always prays with his family at the dinner table. But yet, you go to the church service and there's this pastor that's in the pulpit with his finger out, angrily screaming at the congregation, belittling the congregation, belittling the people in the church and the women that weren't there without their husbands. And guess where Charles was? Charles was back working on the farm. And I'm watching my kids as they're glued to the screen and I'm thinking to myself, this is terrible, this is a horrible show. (laughs) This is what people's image of the church is. To the point that I had to sit my kids down after the show and say, you realize that this is just pretend, that that script was written to them by some Hollywood writers. That's not actually what the church is about, you guys. I'd explain to them as Laura was on the way home and she's bawling her eyes out and she says to mom, is daddy going to go to hell because he didn't go to church today? And I'm like, you realize, guys, it's not about going to church. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about what Christ has done for you. And that's how subtle these things can be. And that's what's so important about our story this morning. Let's continue reading. Look at the other side of this whole thing in in, um, verse 13. But it says, but the tax collector, Jesus telling the story, but the tax collector standing far off. And the reason he's standing far off because he doesn't feel qualified. He doesn't feel good enough to even be in the temple. He doesn't even think his prayers are going to be heard. And it says, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He had so much guilt and shame. And he's beating his breast. And look at what he says. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't come out and try to justify his behavior. He doesn't give his resume the way that the Pharisees is giving his resume. In fact, he's giving a confession. God, I'm worthless. I get it, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. And he's pouring out his heart. He's contrite before the Lord. He's humble before God. He's willing to admit his faults and his failures. And yes, even the sins that hold him back. And what does it say that God does? Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And to be honest with you, as you look at this, justified means that God takes you and he 180s you. And justified means just as if you had not sinned. And that when the God the Father looks at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees what Jesus Christ has done for you when he hung on the cross for your sins and my sins. When he allowed him to drive nails through his hands and through his feet. That there's nothing that you can do to earn or deserve your salvation. It's already been done for you. Which is why it's so crazy that so many times Christians want to crawl up on the cross of Christ and be crucified with him instead of letting him just pay for him pay for our sins himself he loves you and he loves me that much that no matter what we've done no matter how great your sin is even the sins that Jesus listed about the Pharisee that he will forgive each and every single one of them and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness because of what he has done for you, not because of what you do for God. 
What would he challenge us again today that we would put down our pride? As John said last week, that we would take off our mask, that we would stop playing games and we would be real and authentic and realize that we're all in this together. And really our job is to kind of get out of the way and to point people to Jesus and say, he's the one that can save you. He's the one that can put the pieces back together. And guess what? If you want to be part of this church we call Shepherd's Gate, we're a community of believers. We're a body of believers that are willing to do that that are willing to put it on the line, starting with the pastors on Sunday morning, that we're willing to share with you our faults and our failures and our struggles. And you know, so often people will point to the passage in Scripture where Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, more books in the New Testament than anybody else, and he says these words, follow me as I follow Christ. And they'll say, well, what about that Scripture? Doesn't it say, follow me as I follow Christ? And it's in two different books. And if you actually read that Scripture in context, in both times, It's Paul actually saying, follow me as I humble myself, as I am, as he called himself, the chief of sinners. And look at all the things that I've done, and yet God still redeemed me. We follow Paul as Paul follows Christ because of what God has done for him, not because of what Paul has done for God. And each time, not only was it the benefit of those people that were there that day, But it was also so that people that don't know Jesus would come to know the amazing mercy and grace and forgiveness that our God offers every single person. And so if you're a member of this congregation, maybe you're thinking about becoming a member of this congregation, maybe you're still exploring what we're all about. Can we agree as we wrap up this series and again on this day that we are going to be an authentic, raw, and real, and transparent group of people? that we're going to lay it on the line and we're going to share our stories and we're going to talk about our difficulties if it means one more person comes to know Jesus. Do you know in the story, really, what God was trying to do, what Jesus was doing in this passage, he was trying to get the Pharisees to realize they needed to become like the tax collectors and humble themselves and come before Almighty God. And maybe you're here this morning and I don't know, whatever brought you here today, somebody brought you here because they love you and they want you to know the message of Jesus and they wanted you to meet people from this church. Uh, We invite you in here. We invite you to be part of our congregation. In fact, that's who we are. We recognize our brokenness. We recognize our insane need for Jesus Christ. And none of us have arrived None of us have it all together. None of us have have the perfect life or the perfect family or the perfect marriage or the perfect kids or any of those things, nor would we ever tell you that. But we're on this journey called life. And as you look around, as you see the ushers and the greeters, you'll see even on their name tags, it says, Welcome Home. Because we want each and every person that comes through our doors to feel that they are at home, that they are part of this family and that you are accepted no matter what. Even if you disagree with us, we are going to love you and we are going to walk alongside you and we are going to be there for you through thick and thin, no matter what. Amen? Amen. That's what God is doing here at Shepherd's Gate and he's doing it in our lives and he's doing it in the life of our church. So again, thank you so much for giving up an hour of your day and we really hope that you'll give us like another half hour, 45 minutes, maybe even another hour. We got corn dogs out there. (laughs) 
the cotton candy machines working this year. <laughs> the popcorn thing, if you didn't know, I'm just going to let out of the bag. Kelly Surprise, our events coordinator, she rented a donut truck for crying out loud. We love you that much. All this stuff going on. You got to go all around the building and see all these things. Guests, this is for you. Members, let them go first. This is for them to experience, to get to know us. This is the real, true, authentic people of Shepherd's Gate. So let's commit to being on this journey together as we continue to do what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though it's raining outside, we praise you for that. That it waters the trees and the grass that, God, we can marvel at your creation. But that your greatest creation was that you made each and every one of us. And not only did you make us, that you call us special. That you know the hairs on our head. That you know the thoughts in our mind, the concerns of our hearts. You even know the words that we're going to say before we even say them. And that, God, your desire is to pull us close to you to remind us once again you've done everything for us. If we humble ourselves before you, we say, God, it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about now. It is all about you. So God, humble us once again this morning. Help us to be real about our struggles and the things that we face. As a community, God, help us to continue to do what you've called this local body to do. And God, we just give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, for it's in your Son's most holy and precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. We're going to sing this song as, a, as just a declaration of that faith and that trust in our God that he's in control. So let's sing this song together.